Book Three, Chapter Three of Strangers and Pilgrims by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Book Three, Chapter Three. et qu'il sent qu'il est là de traîner le boulet au barn d'ici-bas, dès qu'il fait sauter, qu'importe la manière. Elizabeth's manner that evening was just a little colder and quieter than usual. No unwonted flutter of her spirits betrayed the fact that the current of her life had been suddenly turned into a new channel. She had suffered her lover to accompany her to the edge of that suburb in which the Boroughbridge Road was situated, and had there dismissed him. "'I may come and see you tomorrow, mayn't I?' he pleaded. He had been trying to make her fix an early date for their marriage all the way along the dusky lane. "'We must be married and have our wedding tour over before the Derby, you know,' he said persuasively. "'You don't care much about the touring business, do you? I'm sure I don't. I never could understand why newly married people should be sent to stare at mountains and do penance in musty old cathedrals.' as if they'd done something wicked and were obliged to work it out somehow before they could get absolution. A week at Malvern would be about our figure, or if we had tolerable weather I could take you as far as Malta in the Pixie. You are in a great hurry to settle matters, but when I promised to marry you, you know, I said nothing about the date of our marriage. Oh, but that goes without saying. I've served my apprenticeship. You're not going to turn round upon me like Laban and offer me one of your sisters, or make me work seven years longer. And if you've made up your mind to marry me, it can't matter to you whether it's soon or late. What will Lady Paulyn say? asked Elizabeth, with a little laugh. There was something pleasant in the idea of that wily matron's mortification. Hmm. "'My mother will be rabid,' said the dutiful son. "'But so she would, whomsoever I married, unless it was for bullion. "'It was a good joke, her coming to try and choke you off with that story about Sarah Ramsay. "'Yes, my mother will be riled.' "'And Miss Disney? Do you think she will be pleased?' "'The Viscount was not so prompt in his answer this time.' Hilda, he said meditatively, well, I don't know. I suppose she'll be rather glad. It'll give her a home, you see, by and by, when my mother goes off the hooks. She couldn't have lived with me if I'd been single. Oh, of course not. We shall have Miss Disney to live with us then, by and by. Well, in the natural course of events, yes. My mother can't go on nursing the Ashcombe estate till the day of judgment, though I've no doubt she'd like very much to do it. And when she's dead and all that kind of thing, continued his lordship pleasantly, Hilda can have an attic and a knife and fork with us, unless she marries in the interim, and I don't think that's likely. She looks rather like a person who has had what people call a disappointment, suggested Elizabeth, wincing a little as she remembered her own disappointment. Hmm, she came into the world with a disappointment, 
replied lord paulyn her mother ate the sour grapes and her teeth were set on edge her father colonel disney was heir presumptive to a great estate when my aunt sibylla married him but when his uncle died six months after the colonel's marriage a claimant sprang up with a rigmarole story of a scotch marriage and no end of documentary evidence the upshot of which was that after a good deal of scotch law and pursuing and defending so on the claimant a black-muzzled lad with a dip of the tar-brush walked over the course and hilda's father was left with a large fortune in the hands of the jews in the shape of post obits and accommodation bills he ran away with a french opera dancer soon afterwards in a fit of disgust with society my aunt and hilda were left to drag on somehow upon a pittance which my grandfather a stingy old beggar had settled upon his daughter when she married when my aunt died hilda came to live with my mother and has had a very pleasant time of it ever since i make no doubt they parted at the beginning of the villas that were dotted along the first half-mile or so of the boroughbridge road giving a trim suburban aspect to this side of hawley there were even gas-lamps macadam and a general aspect of inhabitedness very different from the narrow lanes and rugged common on the other side of the town this new neighbourhood was the west end of hawley i shall come to see you to-morrow repeated lord paulyn reluctant to depart and mind everything must be over and done with before may do you remember the first derby we were at together oh, nearly two years ago jolly wasn't it i've got a new team for the drag spankers i've set my heart upon your seeing young england a win hadn't you better write to mrs chevenix she's the woman to do our business if you trust everything to your sisters there'll be a twelvemonth muddling about it we have plenty of time for discussing these arrangements without standing in the high road to do so said elizabeth impatiently if i'd known you were going to worry me i should have never said what i did just now after all it was only said on the impulse of the moment i may change my mind to-morrow morning oh no you won't i won't stand anything of that kind i'm not like that parson fellow once having got you i mean to keep you i think i deserve some reward for holding on as i've done you mustn't talk any more about throwing me over that's past and done with then you mustn't worry me said elizabeth with a faint sigh of utter weariness so now good-night for the last time it's past seven o'clock and my sisters will think i'm lost i almost wonder they haven't sent the bellman after me and thus they parted without the kiss of betrothal which miss luttrell would not consent to receive in the high road but he had kissed her once in the lane passionate lips pressed against unwilling lips typical of that union which was to be no union only self-interest and selfish short-lived passion going hand in hand oh dear thought elizabeth as she went in at the little garden gate and knocked with the doll's house knocker on the doll's house door what a tiresome thing it is to be engaged 
she had thought very differently two years ago when her willing head rested for the first time on malcolm ford's breast and a supreme contentment which seemed more of heaven than of earth descended on her soul a perfect restfulness like the serene stillness of a rescued vessel that lies at anchor in some sheltered harbour after long battling with wind and waves how he begins to worry me already she thought of her new master i foresee that he will make me do whatever he likes unless he goes too far and rouses the spirit of opposition in me but gertrude and diana will not be able to crow over me any longer that's one comfort and i have done with small rooms and a small income that is another her sisters had drunk tea and dismissed the urn and teapot and a cold and somewhat sloppy cup of their favourite beverage had been set aside for her on a little tray she smiled involuntarily as she threw off her hat and sat down in a corner to sip the cold tea thinking how in a very short time pompous serving men would hasten to administer to her once and her coming in and going out would be an affair of importance to a vast household she sat in her corner looking listlessly at her sisters grouped around the lamp and engaged in their usual avocations and could not help feeling that it was really very good of her to endure these small surroundings even for the moment where have you been all this time lizzie exclaimed blanche looking up from the construction of some futility in beadwork at the melvins i suppose kettle drumming oh no i went for a longer walk than usual and forgot how late it was and have been roaming about alone after dark said gertrude with a horrified look oh really elizabeth if you must indulge your eccentric taste for solitary rambles you might at least respect the opinion of the world so far as to gratify your strange taste within reasonable hours i have no respect for the opinion of the world i have outraged it once and perhaps may outrage it again oh, which way did you go asked the pacific blanche anxious to change the subject towards ashcombe when lord paulyn is to be married said diana contemplating some grand effect in a square inch of point lace rather soon i believe where did you hear that oh come now you must have been calling somewhere or you could not have heard the news i have not been calling anywhere but i have reason to believe that lord paulyn is going to be married and rather soon oh there's nothing new in that said diana the dowager told us as much would you like to be bridesmaids on the occasion all of you asked elizabeth what bridesmaids to that horrid miss ramsay cried blanche oh no not to miss ramsay but to me the youngest and most energetic of the luttrells sprang from her seat very nearly overturning the moderator lamp in her excitement to you oh you darling you have been cheating us all this time and are you really going to be a great lady and present us all at court and give no end of balls and parties oh it's too good to be true 
and as we had no ground for such an idea yesterday when you were full of your continental wanderings i really can't understand why we are to believe in such a thing to-night observed gertrude the pragmatical with a spiteful look oh can't you oh, there are some people in whose lives great changes seem to happen by accident the accident of a wicked anonymous letter helped to break off my engagement with mr ford with a keen glance at her eldest sister a chance meeting with lord paulyn this evening on the roman bridge has altered my plans for going to normandy he made me an offer again to-night for the third time in his life and-and you accepted him said diana oh you must have been nearer idiocy than i should think a lateral could be if you rejected him but there is such a thing as constancy even to an idea said gertrude i should have thought elizabeth would have cared more for the memory of malcolm ford than for worldly advantage no answered elizabeth defiantly i am not so slavish as to go on breaking my heart about a man for ever and living screwed up in this box of a house has taught me the value of surroundings you will go to live at ashcombe i suppose suggested gertrude with the dowager and miss disney i can fancy how nice that will be for you i shall do nothing of the kind i mean to live in the world in the very centre of the great whirlpool to go on spinning round perpetually in the fashionable maelstrom a hazardous life for the welfare of an immortal soul said gertrude i have ceased to care for my soul since malcolm gave me up indeed i have a suspicion that my soul ceased to exist when he went away leaving only some kind of mechanism in its place End of book three, chapter three.